You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Hey there, couples. Today's topic is a tough one because we are going to be starting in on a three-week series called After the Affair. And we know this is a difficult one. This is a topic that's hard. If you're listening, if you're a, if you're a husband or a wife and you're listening to this, maybe you've, you've come across this because your spouse cheated on you or you cheated on your spouse. And so we want to, we just hope you'd give us three weeks uh, because we want to help you think this through. We want to help you to talk this to, through. And Tracy, in this first lesson, we're just really going to answer the question, is there hope after an affair? And the good news is that the answer is yes. It, if, the, if both spouses are willing to play the role that they need to play, if you're willing to sit down with a mentoring couple, with a counselor, with each other, and really have some of these difficult conversations, if you, if you work hard to earn trust, if you forgive, then there really can be hope after an affair. Yeah, and this might even be good for people out there that maybe you yourself are not experiencing this, but you have someone in your life. I mean, sadly, in our 25 years of marriage, how many friends we've had that have gone through this. And some of those marriages have fought through and have have come out of it on the other side and others ended in divorce. And Regardless, it's painful. So, so maybe this series isn't so much because it's for you, but it might be for someone in your life that, that needs a lifeline, that needs to know, is there hope or is this whole thing just doomed? Because in the aftermath of originally, you know, that initial feeling when you've discovered that your spouse had an affair, it's, it's devastating. And so it could feel very much like, how could you ever what possibility could there ever be that you could trust that person again, that your marriage could even make it. But that's what we want to talk about over the next couple of weeks is how there is hope and what it's going to be required of each person in the process. But there is hope to save your marriage. Yeah. Let's talk through some stats. 60% of divorces occur because of infidelity. So if you're listening to this and your spouse was unfaithful to you, I want, I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging to you. I know it's devastating to find out that your spouse was unfaithful. And at no point in these conversations, are we going to justify that? Are we going to say it's no big deal? It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And you're feeling that if you're the offended spouse today. But we want you to know that, that marriages can survive this. If you, if there are two willing spouses, if husband and wife are willing to do their part, and we're going to talk about what is your part. We're going to talk next week to the person who is the, I guess we should define some terms here, Tracy, to the offender, the person who had the affair. Next week, we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss five things you must do if you've had an affair and if you want to save your marriage. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk to the offended, the person the person who was the victim and your spouse had an affair. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks about what you can do. There's actually 
there's a part to play for both people, right, Tracy? It's not just all about the offender. It's also about the offended. In fact, today, one of the things we're going to do is we're just going to give you the fifth step for both of these people today. We're going to give you just a little bit of a taste, a sneak preview of where we're going. And then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into it quite a bit more. The thing that's so hard about this topic and really any anything that revolves around marriage is just the obvious reality that you have two different people coming together to make a marriage healthy or not healthy. And so even in this situation, like it's just, it's tough because you might be the person in the marriage. Let's say you're the offended. Your spouse cheated on you, but you still have a willingness to say, but I'm willing to fight for our marriage. It matters to me. We've built a life together. I don't want to just throw that away. But maybe the offender, the one that had the affair, your spouse is not willing to work, doesn't want to work. And so it just kind of leaves you in this place of like, well, you know, I can only do my part. And that's what's hard about any marital issue. It takes two people doing what they need to do. So we recognize that this is a complicated topic. But if if both of you are willing to say, I'm willing to give this thing a chance that we could fight for something better, because the truth is, when affairs happen, they don't happen very rarely do they happen kind of in a its own little silo. There's things that have built up to that. There's reasons that your marriage was struggling or you weren't getting what you needed from your marriage. And so you started looking somewhere else. So there's, there's a lot of things about saying like, this isn't just the affair. The affair maybe is the symptom of a bigger issue. Are we both willing to look at the parts we played and what made the marriage not great that one of us wanted to go outside of it? What do we need to do to change that? But just, again, that complicating factor that it's going to require both of you doing your part. Yeah, even just those terms, the offender and the offended might be offensive to the Mm -hmm. person we're calling the offender. Because you might be saying to yourself, well, there's a reason. There's a reason I did this. And, you know, we've seen a lot of couples who have that kind of conversation or that dynamic. And look, again, I want to, I want to, clarify this. There is no excuse for stepping out on your marriage. So first of all, the the person, the spouse who is saying that, I think you need to look in the mirror again, more on this next week, but you need to really like quit gaslighting, quit pointing fingers. You you have to recognize that you, you took a step that you need to own 100%. But I think the offended, the one who's the victim, it's it's helpful for you to recognize that there are dynamics in your marriage that can contribute in some cases that they can contribute to really to unfaithfulness. So I know, again, that's hard to, it's even almost hard to say because I, I don't want to at all justify somebody who steps out on their marriage, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, part of the attitude that husband and wife have to have when they're approaching this conversation is they have to be willing to say, I want to, we want to be better. We want our marriage to be better than what it was. We're not trying to go back. We're not trying to restore the marriage that was. We're actually trying to rebuild some, we're trying to build a new something that really maybe had a faulty foundation in the first place. I think that's a good point to make for the spouse that might be like, I don't know, why would I want to fight for something that... I wasn't enjoying, that wasn't fulfilling, that was hurtful to me. Why would I want to go back to that? Why would I want to fight for that? 
So yeah, I think that it is important that what we would be advocating for is that you're fighting for something that would be healthy, that where you were is not where you'll end up, that you'll learn the lessons, you would work through all those things, not only the issues around the the effects of the affair itself, but just what were the things in the marriage that both of us were not fulfilled in? What were the things that were broken and how are we going to fix those? So that when you come out of this season that is difficult and hard, you're coming into a marriage that can be fulfilling for both of you and rewarding can actually be even better than what it was, you know, maybe in those early years when things were happier. Yeah. Maybe a story would be helpful here, Tracy, for, Couples who are reeling from this, they're they're just really having a hard time believing that there could be hope, that their marriage could be better than ever. Uh, again, it's hard to it's hard to believe that if you've just found out your spouse cheated on you, or for the one who cheated, if you just if you just confess this, it's hard it's hard to believe that it could be better. But years ago, a good good friends of ours, I mean, we'll try to be brief here, but basically the husband had a had an alcohol problem. Uh, he was an alcoholic. It was a serious issue. He finally dealt with it. Um, he he stepped up. It was amazing. Actually, it was really an act of God. It was a miracle from God. You know, we supported the wife and the kids for years, praying for him, praying that God would get a hold of his heart. God got a hold of his heart. What a cool story. He he came to not only did he come to sobriety, but he came to faith in, in Christ. It was really cool. It was a, it was a picture of n- truly new life in Christ. And then to our shock, the wife stepped out on him. The wife moved out, started sleeping around. She was unfaithful. It was really, I mean, in our early years of ministry of Tracy, it was one of the most shocking things that happened to us. I think part of the reason maybe is because she she felt like, well, you can't just come back and then not pay the pay the price, right? Maybe it was partly, would you say it was partly that she was maybe trying to punish him with those actions? Well, I think a lot of times what can happen in a marriage is when, especially if you're married to an addict and you've kind of been dealing with that and been on that roller coaster and supported and for, have been forgiving and, you know, a breach of trust in a million different ways and you've you know, whether it's for your kids or whatever it is, you, you've stuck it out. And then there, there's that part of us just in our human nature that we kind of elevate then ourselves. Like, well, we're the healthy ones. We're the reason why this marriage works. It's to our credit because we're, we're hanging in there. So in that situation, then once he dealt with the major issue confronting their marriage, which was his addiction, and that was kind of removed from their dynamic, then all of a sudden, she wasn't the champion, you know, she wasn't the strong one, necessarily. Now, now he's healthy and engaging. And so then it was like this, it just kind of knocked her into a different role, that I think she resented a little bit, because she then was like, like, to your point, well, it seems like you got away with all this bad behavior. And now we just skip down the lane as happy married people. Like I put up with a lot of guff. I I put up a lot of, with a lot of pain. It's my turn. And I think she just kind of was deceived into that thinking. And there was somebody else in her life that gave her attention. And that's how it usually happens. And so she, yeah, she ended up having an affair with somebody else. And it was, it was, it was crushing to him. It was crushing to the people in their life because it was confusing. But 
in the end, the end of the story for them was she ended up coming to her senses. He just kind of hung in. He just said, you know what? I'm not going to give up on her. I mean, they were divorced. They, she looked like she was moving on with this other person. And he said, I, I've learned too much about who God is and his power. He worked in my life. I'm not going to give up on her. I'm going to keep praying that she'll come back. She came back and they've, I don't know how many years they've been married now, but they have a, a beautiful relationship now, but they went through a lot of pain to get there, but they both recognized they had some work to do. So it's possible. I mean, that's a pretty extreme example, but it's a true story. Yeah, it really is a picture of, of a, a woman who hung in there and had to be the bigger person for a while. Then the husband was in the position to have to be the bigger person. And I don't know, for our listeners, I don't know which one would be worse. I personally think the affair would be worse, but he didn't use it as an excuse. He, he re- I mean, it was so hurtful to him. It was devastating to him. But he said, I'm going to hang in there. He didn't move on and get remarried. Luckily, she didn't ever, she hadn't gotten remarried. They were divorced. She asked for the divorce. Um, but he, he said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Maybe God can restore this. In fact, I want to say that to couples out here who are listening to this. Maybe you are already divorced. Maybe you're listening to this and you've already gone through the paperwork because of an affair and you feel like, hey, this is a biblical thing. This is one of the reasons I can get it and I can get a divorce biblically. And, and you know, may, that may or may not be true. I'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit here, looking at some scripture around this. But either way, what I, what I say to couples and what I said to this husband for years, I said to him, hang in there, pray for her. Don't move on in marriage. Because if he were to move on in marriage, then that would have been the, that would have really been the end of their marriage. I said, just don't do anything that would that would keep reconciliation from being possible. And there, I mean, I, there were some weeks where I, t- I probably talked to him on the phone every day. He was, you know, had pictures in his head. He was so distraught. He was so disgusted. And I agreed with him. But he he stayed faithful. He waited for over two years. He waited for over two years, and he was faithful to her. And at the end of the day, she came to her senses, she repented, and they restored that marriage. It's like we said, it's better than ever before. And they've been married for, you know, almost well, coming, coming up on probably 20 years here mm-hmm. that they've been remarried. Um, so, so for those who are listening, you know, maybe you, you just know all the stories of when it failed. And there are, there are a ton of those stories out there. And, and quite honestly, there are more stories that even that we know of where people didn't stick it out. That's why we're doing, that's why we're taking time in these podcasts to really talk about this. But it doesn't have to be that way. Divorce is devastating. And if you have two willing people, two imperfect people for sure, but if you have two willing people, you're going to learn as, as we talk about this in the next few weeks, you're going to learn that you can't, your marriage really can survive the affair. All hope is not lost. And this other couple is a perfect picture of that. Yeah. So I think for people out there listening, I mean, it's going to, it's, it's not going to be an easy journey. I, we would be lying if we said that would be easy. We would also be lying. Don't set yourself up to think that, okay, I'm making this determination. I'm in a fight. And then you wake up tomorrow and you feel miserable. And like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever had. Like that will be, I mean, you, you're going to grieve the loss of what you thought you knew. 
about the marriage and about the person you're married to. Cause that's the thing that's so crushing about an affair. It's like the betrayal of the person that's supposed to love you the most. But so there will be days that you probably will cycle through saying, I can't do this. There's no way. I mean, both of you, I think both spouses, whether you're the offender or the offended will say like, there's like, this is just insurmountable. How could you do it? But I, I promise you now it, it is definitely not only willing participants, but it is an act of God working in your life that you truly are just so humble before the Lord to say, I'm not going to be able to do this on my own strength. God, this is going to have to be something you're going to do your every day. It's going to be like the 70 times seven forgiveness piece. It's going to be like every day, I'm just going to have to lay this before the, the feet of the Lord and say, give me the strength I need today to have hope for my marriage. Yeah. And I want to encourage listeners that if you're in this position, whether you're the offender or the offended, I think it's so important for you to surround yourself with people who are going to speak life into your marriage. Because Tracy, there are so many couples, even in the church, potentially, there are so many couples who are going to get on the side of the offended spouse, and they're going to say, you need to cut it up. You need to say no, you need to divorce. Maybe even maybe even your parents are going to be saying that. Maybe even your parent, there might be an in-law situation going on here where they're saying, I told you, I told you, you shouldn't have married this guy. I knew this was going to happen. I tried to warn you. And, and so now there might be people in your life, even godly people, even Christians in your life, certainly non-believers in your life who have no reason not to counsel against divorce, but there might be even Christians in your life who are counseling you just to go ahead and, and get divorced. And I think it's important for you to surround yourself with other voices Make sure that you find some mentors, some people in your life who are going to speak life into your marriage, even though it's going to be really hard to speak that kind of those kind of words. Yeah, I think that's a good point because it's easy to surround ourselves with the people that are going to give the message that we want to hear. And it's harder to be around the people that might have a message that we don't want to hear, but, but we know is, is the right voice, is the voice of wisdom. And so, yes, I do think that's going to be key as we talk over the next couple of weeks too, for each of you to make sure you're surrounding yourself. If your heart is to try to save this thing, then you can't just surround yourself with people that are going to be like, end it. What are you doing? You're crazy. You're stupid. That's, that's like a, there's no way that's going to be a cesspool of negativity. You're going to have to choose to say, if I'm going to fight for this thing and give it an honest go, then I need to make sure I've got people in my life that are saying, keep going. You can do this. I'm praying for you. Trace, here's another stat. 25% of these couples where there was infidelity in the marriage, 25% of these couples stay together after cheating. But that those that confess the infidelity, that statistic jumps to over 50%. So that's interesting mm -hmm. that one of the key factors for making, making it through this difficult period in your marriage is that the, the offender confesses it, not, not just gets caught, not gets found out, but that the offender confesses it. And Tracy, it, it strikes me that there might be some listening now who haven't yet confessed it to their spouse. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're listening to this because they've cheated on their spouse, but they haven't yet told their spouse about it. What would you say to that person? Yeah. I mean, as scary as it is, you got to step up and, and do what's right. Because if you can come to your spouse and say, I've messed up, I've, I've made a terrible mistake. That is a heart of that leads towards repentance, right? That's a heart that reveals I've hurt you. And I acknowledge that I hurt you. 
that's a different starting point than if you were going to work to save the marriage for the offended to be like, well, at least, at least you've come to me and finally been honest now. Not that you haven't been lying to me previously, but that's a different starting point than when the offended discovers a text message or heaven forbid walks in on your spouse with somebody else. Like when you're discovered versus you confess, it's just a different starting point of facing up and taking ownership for choices that you've made. What would you say to the spouse who, who wonders if maybe their, their spouse is cheating? They they've, maybe they've seen some things or they've heard some rumors or they just have this sixth sense about it. Do you have some counsel for that spouse? You know, how do you, how do you move forward opening, opening up that conversation? Well, this is what I was saying in the beginning, which is so hard. And we've, we've walked with couples in this too, where you have a weird feeling or you've seen some Facebook messages or, you know, you've seen some charges on the credit card that you're like, we weren't at that restaurant. I haven't been to that hotel or whatever. And you go to your spouse and you're like, these, these are concerning signs. Can you explain this to me? And if the spouse doesn't want to be honest and lies, that's, that puts you in a really hard position. I recognize that it's you, you can't build trust with someone that's not being truthful. Um, but I think you still have to ask the questions. Now, I think the way you come at it is just to say, listen, I, I just have have this sick feeling in my stomach, or I know we, we don't, I don't feel like we're, we are as connected as we have been in the past. I feel like you're distant. I feel like you're cold. I feel like you're gone or I saw this number on your phone. Like I just, you know, I, it's better to be honest about your concerns than to, you know, to say nothing and then build up terrible things in your mind and your imagination, or just start being accusatory, go and ask the questions. It's okay to say, this doesn't seem right to me. Is everything okay? What about the situation? And, and this happens these days now, big time, where both spouses have cheated, where both spouses have made those mistakes. And sadly, we know couples where this is true as well. It's almost like uh, maybe it's an unofficial open marriage. And, and so they're unfaithful to each other, but in some strange way, um, that's kind of how the marriage has worked up till now. Well, what I would say is in my worldview, that's just not how marriage works. And that's not what God designed it to work like. So you might say that it works for you, but the truth is it doesn't work because it's just not the way God designed it to be. We're not to be intimate with multiple people that we're supposed to be one man and one woman in a committed relationship for life that who you sleep with is, is your spouse, not random people. And, and we've, unfortunately, I have people in my life where that's been a story and you know what, their life is a mess and they might say that that works for them, but one spouse is usually not telling the truth. They're going along with it because they're trying to just keep the marriage together, but that's not natural. That's not what God designed it to be. So I would say that you need to stop that. Yeah, in fact, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus gets confronted by um, some religious leaders are trying to trap him with a question. And they said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And really the implication there is, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Because actually, even the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, 
allows a man to divorce his wife. So according to their law, according to the Torah, according to the to the teachings of their rabbis, they knew that the answer was yes, but they were thinking that maybe Jesus was going to be um, was going to go against that teaching and have a harder line, and, he, and they wanted to make him look bad. But Jesus answered with a question. He said, "What did Moses say in the law about divorce?" So he he knew what they were trying to do. So he made them say it, and they said, "Well, he permitted it." He said, "A man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away." But it's interesting what Jesus does in that in that passage. Again, this is Mark chapter ten. I encourage our listeners to read this if you're in this situation is that he refused to frame marriage through the lens of Moses' teaching on divorce. Instead of that, okay, so the, the Pharisees are thinking about this through the lens of, um, of Deuteronomy 24, the Old Testament, Moses' law. But Jesus responded like, he responded like this. He said, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. In other words, this isn't God's original design. Quit looking at marriage through the lens of the worst case scenario. And I think our listeners need to really hear that today. So here's what Jesus said instead. Jesus said, but quote, God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. So look, Jesus goes back to Genesis and he goes back to God's original intention for marriage. He goes on and he quotes again from Genesis. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and has joined his wife and the two are united into one. And so most, the Pharisees, the religious people, are trying to look for reasons to permit divorce, and Jesus is trying to get them to go further back. Instead of looking for a reason to get a divorce, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to look for a reason to stay married. And here's the reason. This is God's best for you. This is God's plan for you. This is what God wanted all along. And so for our listeners, I need you to hear this. Because whenever a couple comes to me as a pastor and they, they start bringing this conversation up, more often what I hear from them is they're looking for a rubber stamp. They're looking for uh, a justification for this. And again, I'm not trying to minimize unfaithfulness because clearly later on in, in, in the parallel passage to this Mark passage, Jesus talks about except for unfaithfulness. Okay, so there is this thing about unfaithfulness. There's also some question about abuse. We've got more, more on this in our Pursue God podcast. But, but I think the first thing, if you're approaching this conversation and listening to this episode, be honest with yourself if you're just looking for an excuse not to fight for your marriage on both sides, whether you're the offender or the offended. Be honest with yourself if that's not what you're just trying to do, that you're trying to frame, you're trying to look at your marriage through the lens of divorce, and you're just trying to appease your guilty conscience, that whether 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 you're the offender or the offended, you're trying to appease your guilty conscience and just kind of take the e- quote-unquote easy road out. And I, I just want to encourage you, this is not the easy road out. Divorce is not the easy road. Tracy, how many times have we seen couples or individuals who, who are, are never willing to fight for their marriage, and because of that, they've been married two, three, four times? Because there's this principle that's true, wherever you go, there you will be. So if, if you're the problem, and you are part of the problem, for sure, we're all sinners, we're all broken. So if we don't get Jesus's intention down, like what he wanted from the beginning, if we're not, if that's not our starting place, 
then I think so many people are just going to give up too easily, even even in the even in the case of infidelity. Well, yeah, like we said, this is um, this is a brave choice. It's a hard choice, and we'll talk here to end today about the path looks a little different. There's hard choices and hard responsibilities for each person if you want to fight for a healthy marriage. But as we've been saying, like there is hope. There is hope because if you give your heart totally to Jesus to say, you're going to have to give me the strength and give me the perspective on this, that this person that you brought into my life, however many years ago, I love this person enough to say I'd marry him. Okay, so life, life took you down some paths. Some things have happened. Maybe the marriage wasn't as fulfilling. But there's, there was a reason why you married this person in the first place. So the brave choice would be, let's not just give up on it, like you're saying, because now I have a reason or an excuse to be able to, especially if you have kids. The message that I could send to your kids that mom or dad messed up, but boy, we... We're fighting for our marriage and we love each other and we're going to keep working at this thing. Um, so your kids don't have to grow up in a broken home. But we also don't want you to be together and not fight for healthy marriage, right? Again, we're not saying to go back to what it was and you're miserable and mean and fighting all the time. That's not good for your kids either. But for your kids to see that you're fighting for something healthy, that that's the environment that they can grow up in is the better gift than just saying, dad or mom hurt me, I'm out and, you know, I'm moving on with somebody else or we just have these two separate homes. That's divorce is a hard road too. Yeah. And we're also not saying, by the way, that the, the offended spouse shouldn't set some boundaries. Oh, of course. Because, you know, if the offender doesn't do his or her part, right. if the offender is still having an affair, we are not at all advocating that you need to just turn the other cheek and it's fine. That's not good for your kids to see either. So w the conversation we're having here is where both husband and wife, both offender and offended, whoever those people are in the marriage, that both people are willing to do their part and, and they want to break the cycle of dysfunction and they want to, to build a new type of marriage a better marriage, the kind of marriage that Jesus wanted all along, where the two are united into one. There's true unity. There's real love. Um, this is the this is what we're advocating for. This is what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. And Tracy, why don't we just give a little bit of a preview, a little bit of a teaser for for what the offender and the offended will have to do. So next week we're going to talk about the offender. We're going to give. We're going to give you five things that the offender needs to do. The person who had the affair, if you want to save your marriage, you have to play your part. And we're going to talk about five things that you'll need to do. And for today, let's just skip to the end. Let's talk about the fifth thing, Tracy. What is, what is all of this culminating toward for the person who, is, who has had the affair but wants to now fight for their marriage? Yeah, it is going to be a journey of earning trust. I think for, for the offender, your journey is hard because you've hurt the person that you're supposed to love the most. You've hurt your spouse. Um, and you've also made an emotional attachment to someone else. So you're, you, you now have to break off one relationship and come back to your spouse and say, I've, I've hurt you, I've wounded you. And the attitude in the heart has to be, I'm going to do whatever it takes to prove my trustworthiness to you. 
because basically you have to, the way we talk about it in some of our other marriage resources is that trust is like a bank account. So every word and every action is either making a deposit into that trust account or it's making a withdrawal. So like with our money, if you're not making deposits and all you're doing is withdrawing, you're going to have a deficit and you're going to be bankrupt. And so when you, as the offender, you've bankrupt your account, it's empty. And so you're going to have to do a lot of deposits. It's going to be, as we'll talk more next week, answering any question that needs to be answered, um, access to your phone, like just leaving no stone unturned for your spouse to have the freedom to ask the questions they need to ask, to see the things that they need to see, because it's all, all in an effort for you to prove that your heart is to save the marriage, that your heart is to say, I robbed you of the confidence in our relationship or in me. And so I have some work to do to say, I lost that. I want to get it back. And that's a long road and a hard road. Okay. So that's the offender. We'll talk about that next week. And then in two weeks, the, the, the third week of our series, we're going to be sharing five things that the offended, the spouse who just found out about the affair, you have a part to play as well. And I think it's important for the offended spouse to understand that, Tracy, because so many times we, we've seen this where the offender truly is repentant, the, offend, the offender really feels terrible, wants to, wants to earn trust back, wants to do all those five steps and even more. And yet the offended spouse won't budge. The offended spouse is going to be a roadblock and so what is, what is the big kind of the big idea, the takeaway for the person who's offended? This is going to be the fifth and final thing in our list in two weeks. Yeah. And it's forgiveness. And, and before people misunderstand, forgiveness isn't, uh, like you said, isn't the rubber stamp of just excusing all the bad behavior and you just have to take it. Forgiveness is simply a gift of saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to start to earn my trust back. Because for the offended person, it would be very easy for you to just to hang on to your bitterness and resentment. It'd be very easy to punish your spouse every single day because you're hurt and because they've lied to you and they've betrayed you. So your journey is different than the offender in that you have to make a choice every day to say, I'm going to choose to forgive you for this pain that I feel, for the heartache, for all that's happened because I want to give you room. If my heart really is, I want to try and save our marriage. I have to give you room to earn my trust back. And you can't, you can't do that if you're not willing to forgive because you won't be able to see it. You won't, it won't be in good faith. You're, the offender can be doing everything and checking every box. But if your heart really is just to keep raising the bar or add something else as a way to punish them, then, then that's not saving your marriage. That, there's not a lot of hope to that. So it really is, for the offended, it's going to have to be choosing to forgive, to give room for your spouse to start to earn your trust back and that, that you, that you give them opportunities in good faith, that you see the good steps that they're taking, that you can view them with different eyes moving forward. Yeah. And I want to make sure that our listeners understand that forgiveness, when you forgive your spouse, it's not the same thing as saying that what they did was okay. That's mm -hmm. not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing your claim to vengeance on them, which is hard to do. That's what it is. It's not, it's not saying, oh, that's fine what you did. Cause it's not, you know, when, when God forgives us for our sin, he's not saying, oh, what you did doesn't matter. No, it, it does matter. It's our sin 
is a huge affront to God and, and usually to other people as well. So when God forgives us, he's not canceling his wrath. He, God forgave us and he spent his wrath on his son. And that's what Colossians 3 says. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And verse 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And then I love what Paul does here at the end of that verse. He says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So if, if God is willing to forgive us, and when it, when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not a matter of uh, kind of like with, spout, with a husband and a wife, the two imperfect people that have to work through their imperfections. No, in our relationship with God, there's an imperfect being, that's God, and then there's us. So we are always in the wrong. We are always the offender, never the offended. And yet God forgives us. He forgives us because, because he spent his wrath on his son, Jesus. Jesus died for us to set us free from the penalty of our sins, from the consequences of our sin, from the guilt and shame of our sin, so it doesn't have to hang over our heads anymore. So for Christians who are listening to this, if you are the spouse who is deeply offended and hurt, you understand now how God feels and how God has felt toward our sin, and yet God forgave. And so that should be the motivator I hope that that's the motivator for you to be willing to forgive. Now, again, it, it, it's important that your spouse is repentant. But Tracy, we've seen this where the offending spouse is truly repentant, is turning from that sin, does not want to do it anymore. But yet the, the offended spouse just can't get over. They can't get over it. And then sadly, the marriage ends because of that. Right. So that's where it just comes down to recognizing that there is hope after the affair with two people that are willing to do their part. They have different, different responsibilities, different choices they have to make, but they both have a part to play. But I, I just want to end today by you guys feeling like there is hope. There is a future where your marriage can actually be stronger and more fulfilling post-affair because you've gone through the refiner's fire and you've learned some things and you've humbled yourself and you've forgiven and you've earned trust and you're way more intentional in building your relationship, things that probably you should have been doing all along that maybe led to the affair in the first place, that your marriage can be a beautiful, reconciled, new relationship. So couples, tune in in the next two weeks as we talk about how to save your marriage after the affair. And if you want to find the series to have a conversation with it, maybe a mentoring couple or a pastor or, or a friend, you can find all of it online at pursuegod.org forward slash family. Hey, listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we wanna make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit pursuegod.org forward slash donate.